Okay, I'm going to talk from Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to keep going back to that sort of place. If you're going to follow along in your Bible, then it'll be around Matthew 14 most of the time. <clears throat> Just ask a question first off. How many people would like to see uh, revival in here in church across Hamilton, across New Zealand? Yeah. Looking for it? Well, there's people who didn't put their hand up. <laughs> I pray for you. How many people are actively praying and believing for revival? Good, great. How many people know that there's a cost to revival? Oh, scary. Personal cost, isn't there? See, there's a stepping into, or a stepping out of, if you like, and a stepping into the things of God. Stepping out of our comfort zones in some ways, our regular life, and into the unfamiliar. You know, pushing into God, going where we haven't gone before. Um, you know, it's a, it's a challenge sometimes, isn't it, to move us out of the, the settled place. I always find it dangerous in my own life where, I'm, where if I'm somewhere too long, you start to get settled. You start to wear a groove. In my terminology, a groove is just an open-ended grave. <laughs> I don't want to be there. Anyway, back in the positive. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 people. And uh, he goes into verse 22, and it said, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary or against and opposed to them. Jesus sent his disciples off to go to the other side, and then he dismissed the crowd, why? This is the first mega church. We've got 5,000. Brilliant. All the people are there, you know, listening to the word of God. Haven't we succeeded? Haven't we arrived? And Jesus sends them all away. In fact, we find out in John chapter 6, the sort of parallel uh, account of this particular story, Jesus gets pretty hard on them. And he says, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh and so forth. And they, they had trouble understanding what he was meaning because he was talking spiritually, of course, not physically. But they struggled with it. And many of the disciples that talks about in John 6, 66, somewhere there, interesting number, uh, turn aside and go back and don't follow him anymore. So Jesus was not worried about the numbers. He was worried about the spirituality of the people because you'll find out there that he talks in the other passages uh, that they were following after the flesh. He said, you're only following me in the John 6 version. You're only following me because I fed you. You're not seeking the things of the spirit. You're seeking the things of the flesh. And that wasn't the right way to go. So what does he say to the woman at the, at the well? He said, those who come to God must worship in spirit and in truth because God is a spirit. And we can't, we can't fellowship with the Father in the natural, in the flesh side of us. We must fellowship with, with him in the spirit because that's who he is. We can't connect to that way. In fact, Romans 8 and verse 8 and 9 says, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. No matter what you do, religiously, uh, whatever you do, you cannot please God in the natural, in the flesh. The good news, of course, is verse 9 is still there. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So if you've been born again, the Spirit of God is in you. So there's a sort of a, a partial spiritual aspect there that you can either follow or not follow. But you can't please God in the flesh is the story here, isn't it? It's not a matter of those natural things. Does he not care about our natural needs? Of course he does. 
But Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You've got to put the spirit first, and then the natural will be supplied. But the crowd there, the 5,000, had it around the wrong way. They were looking for the natural first and not the spiritual. What about the disciples? Here's an elite group of 12 people. I love how they show all the shortcomings. It gives me hope. His elite group of 12 people, he sent off in the boat to go before him to the other side. They had the word of God, didn't they? Because Jesus said, go to the other side, go before me to the other side. So they, they had the word that Jesus had spoken. They were following the direction of God and trying to get there. But as the storm arose and everything, they ended up getting there or trying to get there in their own strength, didn't they? In fact, and you can see the par- parallel versions in Mark 6 and John 6, they both talk about the fact they ended up rowing. I mean, these weren't America's cup boats. They didn't have keels and high-speed hydrofoils and things. They couldn't go against the wind. They couldn't tack against the wind. So they had to drop the sail and get the oars out. That'd be a good America's Cup race, wouldn't it? They had to get the oars out. But, you know, the interesting thing when I was thinking about that and the rowing is there's two things about rowing that struck me. I mean, if I was coming to you now and I was rowing, oh, hang on, going the wrong way. I have to turn my back to you. I can't see where I'm going when I'm rowing. Sounds good, doesn't it? I can't see the direction or the heading or the destination when I'm rowing. All I can see is what I've achieved and not actually what God is doing. You ever thought about that? So they were naturally working in the flesh to try and get somewhere that God had told them to go, but in the end they were just exhausting themselves with their own efforts. I mean, rowing takes a lot of work. If you've ever done a little bit of it, you think, oh, this is easy, and all of a sudden... Oh, this is hard. Why did I pay $10 to get this boat to row around this little lake? You know, <laughs> that's not fun. But the other thing is, like I said, it, it exhausts you. You use your legs, your back, your arms. It takes a lot of effort. And I wonder, you know, how many times in our lives that God has told us something to do. Well, we got the Word of God, but we're trying to bring it to pass in our strength. Looking at what we have achieved instead of actually, where's God moving? You know, we're looking at what God wants to do, but we're not actually listening to how He wants us to do it. It's a challenge, isn't it? I'm sure I've done it many times, many times. See, working in the natural doesn't work. Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 9 and 10, it says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So we cease from our efforts, but we follow the Holy Spirit, and we get led by Him, don't we? Not looking the wrong way, looking the right way, trusting in Him. Matthew 14, back to our story. Verse 24. Now, on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them. Now, my Bible says that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So Jesus seemed to be praying quite a few hours here. I imagine that 5,000 people who were just non-spiritual, draining Jesus, he needed a few hours of prayer to get himself back charged up again to go back and do what he needed to do. And walking on the sea, came to them walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Now Jesus had said, go before me to the other side. So, you know, he had implied that I'm going to catch up with you somehow. Well, they had no thought that it was going to be by walking on the water. Who had ever heard of that before that day? You know, they thought, oh, he's going to grab another boat or something, or, you know, a fast donkey to go around the outside of the lake. Uh, something like that. 
but they didn't pick up the spiritual hint that he gave them. And they were scared. But you see, fear doesn't produce anything good, doesn't it? Fear is the opposite of faith. That's why Jesus said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because fear blocks us believing and trusting in Jesus. I was thinking of Jairus, you know, um, the synagogue ruler who grabbed Jesus to take him to raise his daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, who was dying at the point of death. And on the way, some friends came from the house and said, oh, don't worry the teacher anymore. She's died. She's gone. And immediately, just the same as here, immediately Jesus said, do not be afraid, only believe. And he took all those people who came and said, you're not following us anymore. You unbelievers, get out of the way. You know, sent all the crowd, sort of uh, kept them back. He only took a couple of disciples with him too. And he got to the house where the daughter was. And then when there's a whole crowd there that laughing at him, he put them all out too. You can't have unbelief around you when you're trying to believe. You just need the people who are going to agree with them. And he went in and raised up that little girl from dead, from the death, and gave, them, gave her back to the parents. It's a great story, but you can see the unbelief that Jesus had to fight against and get out of the way all the way. Do not be afraid, only believe. And I sort of wonder how many times that God has given us a promise, or we've found a promise in God, but fear has stopped it coming to pass in our lives. Fear has stopped him bringing that joy, that promise, that blessing to us, when actually that was his will for you to receive that. See, in the natural we lack. In the natural I'm weak, but in God I'm strong. In God I'll boast. You know, in that boat, there was one disciple who wanted more. There was one who wanted to be like his master. I would love to think that I was like Peter on that day, but actually I would probably have been one of the eleven. In reality. Peter just said, look, Lord, if you're walking on the water, I'm going to do that too. If you can do it, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm your, I'm your apprentice. Show me how to do it. Just give me the word and I'll follow you. He got out of his security. You know, Peter had been a fisherman all his life. That boat was his life. You know, he had been in storms and all sorts of things, and he knew that if he hung into that boat and kept that steered into the waves, that he was safe and okay. He had experienced it for years and years. The worst, most stupidest thing you could do as a fisherman is to jump into the water when you're in the middle of the sea in a storm. You know? He knew that, but he didn't care because he was looking at Jesus. See, looking at Jesus overcomes the fear and the doubt, doesn't it? In Matthew 14, verse 28, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter suddenly had a new objective. He wasn't caring about getting to the other side anymore. That was irrelevant. That was the old sort of task. That was the old vision. Now the new vision is to come to Jesus, to get close to him, getting closer to him. I shared a testimony a little while back at the evening service about Moira and I were traveling back from down country and and uh, I was behind this truck, and it had been a lot of rain had come down. It wasn't raining at the time, but, but the road was really wet. And I was behind this big truck and trailer unit. And, you know, they put up all that spray, and I thought, I'm not going to follow this truck all the way back to Hamilton. This is going to be a, a long journey of trying to see through the mist. I'm going to wait to the next passing lane, and I'm going to get past this thing. So the next passing lane came along, and I pulled out, and I got about a third or so, you know, past this truck, not knowing that the other way... There's another big truck and trailer unit that had been holding up a whole lot of traffic, and it had a whole lot of cars and trucks all the way behind it. And I only got sort of partway past this truck, and all this traffic went the other way. And that putting up spray as well. And all of a sudden, I couldn't see anything. 
absolutely nothing. I'd like you to see this, the front of the bonnet of the car. So everything that the world had laid out for me to follow was now gone. The path that the world expected me to follow, I could not because I did not have that information to follow anymore. I mean, cars and trucks are rushing past here, it felt like inches away, with a combined speed in the sense of 200, 200 kilometers an hour. That was disaster if I went that way. I had no idea what was coming in front of me. It would have to hit my bonnet before I actually knew anything was there. I had no idea what was behind me because that was just as bad. All I could see is this massive truck on the left that I couldn't pull over. And you think, what do you do at that time? You have to get a new point of reference, don't you? I had to align with the one who was on the journey with me. I had to align with the one who was higher up and could see more than I could see and follow his example. In this case, the truck. Spiritually, Jesus. And so those wheels that were grinding away next to me, I had to tuck into them and think, okay, if I stay with him, I'm trusting that he's in his lane, which means I will be in my lane even though I can't see it, which means I stay away from this disaster on the right-hand side. The trouble is that immediately made me safe and gave me a point of reference, but within a minute or so, there was not going to be any more passing lane. And he, came, he would come back onto the middle of the road, and that was going to be a disaster for me. So I had to make a choice of whether I slowed down or whether I sped up. And you know, and you have those things in life where you either go backwards or forwards, you have no other choice. And really not a lot of options to go backwards most times in life, is there? You go forward even if you don't want to. You go, oh, okay. I had no idea with someone coming to the lane behind me to pass this truck. I couldn't see them. If I braked, I was going to hit someone. The one thing I did know was that no one was in front of me passing this truck because I was the one that was following it. So I put my foot down and saw the wheels go past and past and past until eventually, you know, the mist cleared and I could see again my path to go forward, you know. But it's a matter of following and lining with that one who is on the journey with you at times, isn't it? It's like the old footsteps on the sand, isn't it? Sometimes Jesus has to carry us. Trusting in him. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 29, he said, come. In his response to Peter's request, he said, come. I love the fact that one word, four letters, come, C-O-M-E, was sufficient for a mighty miracle to happen. There was enough faith in that one word for this amazing miracle to happen and Peter to walk on the water. One word from God is enough. Isn't that amazing? It had faith in it to produce the whole thing. And I was wondering, why did Peter get out of the boat? Why did only one person get out of that boat and make a difference? Because I never pick on Peter. I always think about the 11 who didn't. He wanted to go where no man had gone before. Actually, you know that uh, Star Trek fans here, you get that? That actually comes from a, from a synagogue welcome with shalom. And live long and prosper comes from a, a godly background, just to, just to give you that insight. Not that you need to know that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I believe that, that uh, Peter was hungry for more. He just wanted to push the limits. And we see that throughout the word, don't we? He just wanted to have more of Jesus, more of what's going on. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to push over the boundaries. I'm going to do what I don't even believe I can do, but I'm going to try it. You know? If you're doing it, Lord, I'm doing it. 
And I sort of wonder, are we thirsty or have we been fed with the 5,000? Or are we comfortable in the boat? That's my challenge this morning. Are we rowing against what we are putting up with? You know, so many things in life can come against us and we can come to a point where we can cope, you know? Are we putting up with how much of a spiritual life we have? Are we putting up with how much of the Word of God is living in us? How are we putting up with the amount of life we have in us? Are we putting up with a certain amount of sickness and infirmity or lack or lack of peace? Or are we going to push through, passing on, get through the mist and get through the other side with Jesus? What are we settled into? Because many times in my life I've turned around and found out that I have settled and I think, nope, get up, get up and go forward, get up and go forward. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1, it says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Isn't that amazing? It's all by grace. I remember being, uh, when we finished our pastoring years and we moved town and got a new job and so forth, and I had been burnt out, you know, I'd I'd given too much in some ways. I think I had rowed too long instead of being in God's strength. And I just knew that I had to keep going to church because it was so easy to stop at that point, so easy to say, I just want a break. But I kept going every Sunday, sat in the back, arrived late, left early. How many people have been there? Until I was recharged, till I got thirsty again, till I got more back into me again and pushed forward. But you just got to do what you can at the time, can't you? Push forward and know that God will make the difference. In John chapter 7 and verse 37 and 38, it says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that brilliant? If we thirst, we can come to him and drink. And not just drink for ourselves, but we will be a river for those around us. I love that thought. It's never just about us. It's always about how we can bless someone else. It's always about how we can give our lives away. So today, Jesus says, come. And I just want to ask you, whatever he is challenging you about, get closer to him. I believe that as God is challenging me in a number of areas, he's likely challenging you in a number of areas because I'm no different than you. That there's probably some areas he's saying, what about getting more into this? What about pushing into me in this? So today Jesus says, come, let's get closer to him. In Matthew 14, 29, 30, carrying on our story, and when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. Peter had to make the decision of getting out of the familiar, getting out of the comfort and pushing forward. He had to physically get out of that boat and stand on something that he couldn't in the natural stand on, to move into a space where he didn't actually understand, even though he had been around water all his life. But when he saw the wind boisterous, And there's so many times that the things in life distract us from the Word of God, that God has promised us something, that we've walked into, that we've grabbed onto, and then somehow the circumstances, something in the five physical senses, you know, a pain or something we see or something we hear or something distracts us from Jesus and we begin to sink. Actually, if we just keep our eyes on Him, that's always the answer, isn't it? Always the answer. 
Believe, trust in the word. When he saw the wind, he took his eyes off Jesus, off the word of God, and then it didn't work. The devil's point is to distract us from Jesus. The devil's point is to take us away from the relationship and the trust, to say, that's not going to work this time. Look at the storm. Look at this. Look at that. Look at so-and-so. It didn't work for them. Trust in Jesus. Now, I'll tell you a story. When time when we had to walk on water, many years ago, back in our 20s, oh, I can't be that much longer. Um, <clears throat> but we had bought a business, and we had been running it for three or four years, and we had increased the turnover by around about 350%. So we were doing really well. And how many people sort of know that if you're in business or you've been in business, you know that when you're growing that fast, you've got a cash flow issue. You know, you're struggling to keep up with the growth, so you've got no money. So even though your business is growing really well, you couldn't go on holiday for, I don't know, five or six years. I think we didn't even get a night away because you're, you're trying to make this thing work. You're constantly investing back into what you're doing. But the thing I didn't know in my, in my 20s that I hadn't experienced before was, was a global financial crisis. And this happened in 1987. Stock market crash, major one. And overnight, literally overnight, from one day to the next, our business halved. And also, if you've been in business or in business, you know, of course, that when you're talking about tax and so forth, they projected on, oh, you're going to be out here. Well, let's pay this much tax. When actually now I was down here. And that caused us a huge problem as well. Suddenly our income didn't match what we needed to outgo. And so we tried to struggle through that, tried to work through all the problems. And of course, when you're running in a short cash flow, you haven't got savings, you haven't got backup. You know, you're investing everything back into the growth of this business you can. A year later, we were worse off than we were <laughs> back at the start, and I tallied up things, and I, I found out that if I sold the house, and I sold the car, and I sold the cat, um, at least out the kids, uh, I sold all the furniture, I still had a massive debt. I, I could not clear where we were at. We were in a really bad way. And then one Saturday morning, I had a knock on the door, and I opened the door, and it was the bailiff serving me a summons to go to court over my debt. And I got my name in the Gazette and so forth. That was a low time. Low time. And you think, well, you know, I've been praying. So didn't God come true? Isn't God's word true? Don't you, can't you trust in him? I had been praying and believing. And I, I don't remember exactly the, the dates, but it could have been the next day on the Sunday. We were sitting in church. And I thought, you know, you were made poor that I might be rich. You said, if I give, it shall be given unto me, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You said that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I know those scriptures. I've been feeding them into my heart. I know your word is true. And how many people know that, you know, when you're in faith, there isn't a plan B? You know, you can't have a plan B when you're believing in faith because then it's not faith. You know, which is a bit of a, a tricky one. It's a challenging one. So I thought, well, we're either all in or we're all out. If I really do believe that I am saved and going to heaven and redeemed in Christ and I believe that the word of God is true, then I'm all in. It's a bit like passing the truck, you know. So I opened up my checkbook and I wrote out a check for everything I had left. I said, God, I'm either going out on you big time or I'm going through with you big time. And it was, by today's standards, many thousands of dollars. And now we were just running a partnership, not a company, so... You know, that was all we had to run the business, but that was all we had to buy food. And that was all we had to pay the power bill and everything else. I mean, it was, that was everything. And so I, I showed it to Moira and we agreed and I 
put it in the offering. Now, I'm sure the church thought that was a great offering that day, but had no idea what was going on in us. Now, if you ask me, was your head telling you not to do it? Absolutely. Was my heart telling me to do it? Absolutely. Was I having a war inside myself? Yes, absolutely. You know? But sometimes you've got to do quickly with the left hand before the right hand knows what you're doing, <laughs> before you have a chance to talk yourself out of something. Sorry, the verse of the day has just come up. Um, so anyway, we went on. Did anything happen the next day that was miraculous? No, not that I noticed. The next week, well, you know, work started to come in, and we got some money in, and, you know, we managed to eat and live and so on. And it started to pick up over that next month, two months, and things started to go well. I thought, that's great. I was expecting something a little bit more miraculous than that, but God was answering our prayers. And then a couple of months after we'd put this offering into the, into the church, um, this guy came to me and he said, I believe that God is telling me to buy you a new car. And I said, I don't doubt it, brother, bring it on. <laughs> I didn't say that, I didn't say that. <clears throat> Actually, I tried to put him off, and I had to pray about it for a while, because I, I wanted to make sure it felt right in God. But it's a better story the other way. Anyway, to cut long story short, within two or three weeks, we had this brand new car. $35,000 worth of car. This is the late 80s, it was a lot of money. And uh, we were driving around this brand new car trying to find petrol money, you know. <laughs> but I chucked that into the business, got the GST back, put that onto the tax, did, you know, do what you can as a businessman, and uh, that gave us a little bit of leeway, and you know, within 12 months, we were completely out of that debt and released, and we never went to court, that just disappeared and went away. Everything came right, but you know, it took a lot of walking on water. <laughs> it didn't feel like there was much under us at the time, and there was plenty of times in my head, and I think, man, have I made the right call? But God's word always works when you just don't back down, when you just don't give up, no matter how much your head is telling you not to. As long as you've put the word of God in there, not just what you think, not just because someone else did it and it worked, but because you trust in the word. It always comes through, doesn't it? For our salvation, for our deliverance, for our whatever we are believing for. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 31 carrying on our story again. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Doubt causes the, the whole thing to stop. But the neat thing about that scripture, you know, is that when you're trusting in Jesus and you're pushed out there and you've gone beyond your limits that you think you can do, even if it doesn't quite work, Jesus is going to reach out and help you. He's going to pick you up by the hand and say, well done. You gave it your best shot. Sure, we can doubt and so forth at times. And doubt means just waver or duplicate or be double-minded. You don't want to let that into your, into your heart. But Jesus is always there. And it's so easy to be distracted. You know, I think as Christians, it's, it's the easiest thing in the world to actually let the cares of this world flow in. Especially today. It's got more and more worries and stress in society than we used to. We work less physically, but we have way more stress than we used to. And, you know, the, the word that got choked was the cares of this world entering in. That distraction is one of the key weapons of the enemy to destroy us trusting in Jesus, to destroy our joy and our hope going forward. So we don't want to be distracted. So I ask you this morning, what has God said to you? What is God calling you to? What is he calling you to more? What is he saying to you? Because Jesus said, come. 
looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's all about Jesus, you know, in the end. In all that we do, it's all about him. You know, in the, in the walking on the water, it's all about walking to him. It's not about my works, my righteousness, my anything, anything I'm doing, but it's all about focusing on him and coming to him. It's all about he will supply our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In Matthew 11, in verse 28, it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I will, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what boisterous wind is trying to distract you? Has he called you to get into his word more? To give to missions more? To uh, pray more? To fast? To tithe? You know, we're talking about revival. Revival starts here. Revival starts in the church, not out there. God doesn't move out there first. He moves in here first. And the church is a matter of us, isn't it? Each one of us. Has he called you to trust in his promises for healing or provision or deliverance? Or, you know, are we thirsty? We need to get out of the boat. We need to get onto the water. We need to get under, into under unfamiliar territory. Jesus is saying, come, are we the eleven or are we the one? Good question, isn't it? He's been working with me, so I thought I'd pass that on. I'm sure you appreciate that. He's challenging me in a few areas. And just in, in conclusion, I just want to pick up a couple of points. Revival must start in us or it's not going to happen. God is forever stuck with us. We're making a difference in this life. We are the ones that make his enemies his footstools. He's the one he's, we are the one he's trusting in to make a difference here. And I do believe that Jesus wants to do something special in this nation. I do believe he's starting something great. And we have to launch in. We have to move in. And it's a matter of not of denying ourselves in a sense, but really being holy in him. I love that definition of holy. It's not a matter of my works, my religion, but a matter of being holy in him. I want to be consumed in him, that I no longer live, but he lives in me. That's the point, isn't it? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. That's always challenged me the other way around. What if I'm not led by the, son, by the Spirit? Am I not? Oh, let's not go there. As many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. I often wonder, you know, if Jesus was standing with us, sitting with us, physically with us during the day, would we, when we go to gossip about someone, say, oh, uh, no, Jesus is here. I'm not going to say that at the moment. We sit down to watch television and think, oh, I'm not going to watch that television program. Jesus is here. <clears throat> I'm not going to have that third glass of wine. Uh, Jesus is watching. What would we change in our lives? Because he is with us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the answer to the world. We are the ones he has called to be part of his body to go out and do what he needs us to do. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Hopefully you've enjoyed that. But I just want to not miss an opportunity this morning in case you haven't received the love and the joy of Jesus Christ in your life. If you don't know who Jesus is and haven't experienced the fact that he can wash away all your shame, all your sin, and everything else, I'd like to just give you an opportunity right now. And I just wonder if we can close our eyes so we can focus on ourselves for a moment. 
because Jesus is so great and so wonderful, and I love him so much, and I know that there's 99% of the people in the room here are feeling the same way. He has done so much for us. He always comes through. He does miraculous stuff. But more than all that, he loves us. He cares for us. He died for us that we might have a hope and a future. So I just want to say, if that's you, if God's touching you saying, come to me this morning, I want to say, just raise your hand and I'll just recognize it. I'm not going to call you out or do anything sort of embarrassing, but just raise your hand while everyone's got their eyes closed and I'll acknowledge that. If you want to make a difference in your life, if you want a new start, God knows what you've done, where you've been, what you're thinking, but he wants to make a hope, a fresh start, a washing, a renewal. If that's you and you want to make a difference today, just let me know. If I don't see any hands, then I'll just believe that everyone is a believer this morning. Or if you're not, that you're not going to miss the chance going forward to make a difference and make that decision. Is there anyone that wanted to just acknowledge that this morning before I move on? Amen. Great to see everyone saved this morning. That's a call to come, isn't it? I just want to give this little challenge to everyone else that's here. Let's step out looking under Jesus and ignoring the circumstances and the cares and the things that try and crowd in. Let's stop rowing, even if we know what the direction is, and seek what he wants us to do. The process of Jesus is not miraculous in itself, but as as Peter went to Jesus, a miracle happened. You know, if we focus on Jesus and seek first his righteousness and his, his presence, his kingdom, then everything else comes right. Let's move deeper into him. Revelation 22, and I'll close with this, says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And that's why I'm giving this message, because I have heard Jesus saying, Come, and I have to share it according to this word. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Amen. That's my challenge to all of us this morning. I just thought, you know, as we sing this last song, if you want to make a physical step for a spiritual reality, if you want to make a step saying, God, I'm just making a difference here right now, then use the aisles or the front to come out and say, look, it's a physical step, but it's actually representing what's changing in me. Feel free to do that and say, I'm going forward and I'm, I'm not going to leave it to next week. I'm going to do something now in front of God and do something. So feel free to do that while we sing this last song. Thank you.